song said, we cry holy. Holy means to be other, to be unique, to be special. God is special. God is other. God is holy. The other song said that God is amazing. It doesn't take much for me to believe that, knowing where I come from, knowing what God has brought me through. God is amazing. I would have lost my mind a long time ago. But God is amazing. I was sinking deep in sin and lost in confusion, but God brought me out. God is amazing. I'm not talking about what somebody told me. I'm not talking about what they told me in theology school. I'm telling you that God, God is amazing. I know that from experience. But then there's this place beyond my experience. There's this place down in my spirit from which God calls me into a deeper relationship with him. It's a place that is wholly other, that has nothing to do with my experiences or my knowledge. But it is when God shows up in the raw in my life. And all I can say is, man, you're amazing. You are off the chain. You are the undisputed victor. <laughs> that place, that place, that place. Y'all make me want to preach in here. Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. I'm not going to do that. I didn't come here for that. I came here to have a quiet Sunday. That's what I'm going to have is a quiet Sunday. You know, I don't get to preaching in many churches very often. So I do appreciate the opportunity to be here with you today. Thank uh, Pastor D for having me and Pastor Steve and the whole crew at Bethel Church for all you guys are doing here. Uh, this week I've been considering our passage in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3, it's the first of the nine Beatitudes. And they're called the Beatitudes because each of the nine uh, axioms or wisdom sayings of Christ here begin with the word be. So we call them the Beatitudes, be meek, be humble. And so we're going to look at this first Beatitude today as Jesus has begun to teach his disciples and all of those who will listen about the closeness of the kingdom of God to us, to our lives, and what the kingdom truly means to us, and what kinds of people inherit the kingdom of God. The Bible says that he was walking along and Jesus saw the large crowds of people. He didn't just look at them, but he saw them. He paid attention to them. He engaged them. He initiated conversation and relationship with them. He saw them and he knew and he sensed their deepest needs. He saw them for who they really were. Aside from the facades, aside, aside from religion, aside from the painted on smiles upon their faces, Jesus saw into the hearts of men and you know what he saw? He saw that people seemed to be innately sad. There is a collective sadness in the world at all times. The Bible says that even the earth is groaning within itself, waiting for the adoption of the children of God to come to pass. There is a sorrow 
in the world. It's why we keep the TV on all the time. It's why we keep the radio playing all the time. It's why we keep busying ourselves all the time because there is even a sorrow in you. It's a part of the fall. It is something that we have to learn to live with and to deal with. And most of us, instead of dealing with that thing, we find something to occupy our time, to occupy our lives so that we don't have to pay attention to the deep void within our own hearts. It's the reality of every man, not just the believer, every person is doing it. It's why Facebook is always blowing up. I don't want to be myself, so I'll be somebody else. I'll make some wise statements on Facebook and make myself appear to be wiser than I actually am. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get away from myself. I'm afraid of myself. I'm afraid of the discontent that I feel within, the frustration that catches up with me every time I quiet down, and so I have to stay busy. And so Jesus is standing here looking at the people, and some of them are smiling, and some of them are Hosanna. Some of them are sick. Some of them have needs. But Jesus recognizes that there's a collective sadness about people. A sense of regret, a sense of discontent. And he sensed it. He felt it. And so he said, come follow me up to the mountainside. I want to talk to you all. And he gets up there and he sits down and the Bible says that Jesus says to them, blessed. He starts off his conversation by saying blessed. And we all know what that word means in the Greek. It actually means happy. Jesus starts his sermons to us with the word happy. Happy. Do you know Jesus cares about the fact that you're not happy? If you're not happy, Christ cares about that. The Bible says happy are the people whose God is the Lord. Jesus wants to see happy people. He says, listen, oh, how happy you would be. That, that, that's my little paraphrase there. But that's what he's saying. Oh, how happy you would be. If you were poor in spirit, how much more freedom you would have in your life if you were poor in spirit? How much more joy and gladness would exude from you if you learned to be poor in spirit? But it doesn't sound like it makes sense. Happy and poverty don't seem to go together very well. Happy because I'm broke. Happy because I'm poor. Jesus, come again. Come again. I think you meant to say rich. Maybe you got it confused. Happy, he says. Oh, how happy you would be. He cares about our happiness. He identifies the problem that pervades our society, that pervades Gary, that pervades Crown Point, that pervades the world. There is a deep sense of sadness. The richest people in the world with money to buy all kinds of yachts and have fame and fortune are sitting somewhere on the beaches popping volumes. You're not happy. The person in Gary who thinks he has it so bad, he's not happy. Nobody's happy. Everybody's accusing everybody else of taking their happiness away from them. When actually our happiness was taken in the Garden of Eden many, many, many years ago. In his most emphatic voice, Jesus is saying, oh, how happy you would be. A happiness that transcends favorable circumstances, has nothing to do with your status in life, where you find yourself. How happy you would be, aside from your situation, aside from your pain, 
This is a happiness that is not earthbound. It transcends how happy you would be. A happiness, a joy that will never be taken away, he says. How happy you would be if you were poor in spirit. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Just being poor in spirit. To be poor in spirit is to have a profound sense of your own inner emptiness. I'll say that again. To be poor in spirit is to have a profound sense of your own inner emptiness. I was driving up here. I saw a lot of nice cars out there. Some people in this church have status. Solomon had status. Solomon says in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 12, the preacher, I've been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. What did you find out, Solomon? Here's what Solomon said he found out. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen what is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. That sounds depressing. Are you sure you were inspired by the Holy Spirit to say that? Sometimes that's how the Holy Spirit does it. He just pinpoints the problem. Let's not beat around the bush. Oh, what an unhappy business this is, this thing called life. <laughs> Keeps me so busy. And every time I gain something, every time I attain something, it's like striving after the wind. Goes right through my hands. That's the wisest man in the world who said that. I believe that's why Solomon said, don't be too wise. Why destroy yourself before your time? Because when you figure this thing out for real, it can depress you. It's the reality. Solomon built mansions. He had pools. He had a harem of wives, attained great wealth, great power, had great wisdom, but he is still feeling empty inside. Jesus says that's a good thing. Because in wisdom, he figured something out. That this world has nothing to offer the deep spiritual needs of my life. <laughs> With all of his stuff, he remained poor in spirit because nothing meant anything. And he, I, I learned it by experience. They told me that. David, my father, told me that. But I wanted to see for myself. Dad, you're telling me that if I build the largest castle, I won't be happy. No, son, you won't be happy. Get the building. Let me show you something. I'm going to smile when this is finished. And they got finished building it for about a week and a half. He was happy, skipping around the big mansion. Then after a while, those big old empty rooms, Solomon sat down and said, well, this didn't do it. <laughs> Let's try this again. I'm going to have hundreds of chariots made of gold. Then I'm going to be proud, and I'm going to be happy. He made all of his chariots and walked out there and was proud, and nobody had chariots like his. And a week later, this, 
don't, don't do it. And he tried again. And he tried, and he tried, and he tried, and in the end the man says that everything is vanity, and the King James Version said, and the vexation of spirit, irritating me. Brand new Mercedes-Benz getting on my nerves. <laughs> Promised more than it was able to perform. And I bought the lie. And I keep on buying the lie every three years again and again, and I get another one. It's a lie. It's going to leave you empty. Professor at Moody Bible Institute finally earned his doctorate degree. And I was talking to him about how it felt to be a doctor of theology. He looked at me, he's about 60 years old, and he said, you know, it doesn't feel as good as I thought it was going to feel. <laughs> I look back on all, how many years I spent trying to get this thing, and now I have it, and it's like, blah. Yeah, yeah. And there's a reason for that. We're going to get to it. There's a reason for that. But it's a good thing when you can recognize that there is nothing in this world that can fill the void that is within your own soul. That's a good place to be in. Solomon had been trying to fill the Grand Canyon with a shovel can't be done. The needs and the desires in the heart of men are too vast, too large. The world is not enough. The void that we fill within ourselves cannot be satisfied with the things of this world. The void that is within each one of us can only be filled by God himself personally. But most of us, even believers, do not allow ourselves to truly hear or to listen to the deep inner cry of our souls. Because to be hungry doesn't feel good. You might want to be hungry, stomach growling, you might want to hear all that noise, irritation. Hunger causes pain. I don't know much about that, but. Hunger can cause pain. So we spend much of our lives trying to muffle the inner roaring of our spiritual bellies with this world's goods. And the world's goods, the world's goods are not only the material things like the car and the house and the land. No, Jesus says in Luke chapter 14, verse 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. We know Jesus doesn't mean we have to have disdain for our families to be. He's not saying that. But what is he saying here? Jesus is saying this, that unless we come to realize that true happiness is not to be found in our cultures, in our human allegiances, we will not be able to sense that deeper longing for acceptance and belonging that only Christ can provide. You got to detach yourself even from your family until you realize, I can't live without my family. 
I can live my brother hates me and my mother uh, loves him more than I can live. I can, I can live without that. That's what Jesus wants you to understand is you can detach from everything in this world. But if you have Jesus Christ in your heart, you will be a survivor. You will remain more than a conqueror. Yeah, yeah. It's a matter of disengaging, disentangling ourselves from the things and the allegiances of this world. If we disidentify with our families, with our cultures, with our allegiances, then we will be hungry for a deeper relationship with God. Most of us are too full. We can't even fit God into our lives. And so God said, I need you to empty all of this stuff. Make space for me. I am the Lord your God. I will not give my glory to another. No, your mother is special to you, but she's just another soul to me. <laughs> yeah. Our need for belonging, our need for acceptance is a God-sized need that no human can ever fill. And when we know that true happiness can only be found in God, we have attained the inner perspective that properly values things spiritual above things natural. And this is where Jesus is headed with this. You need to change your value system and stop looking to this world to give you an identity, to define who and what you are. The world doesn't know, only I know that secret. And the only way you're going to find out is you come to me. We must gain that inner perspective that values spiritual things above natural things. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2. Paul the Apostle says, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Empty yourself of all of the things that are on this earth. Set your mind on things that are above. That's some good advice right there, man. Because when you set your mind on things in this world, every time things change, you change. If you've established yourself in this unsound, sinking sand called the earth, every time the situation changes, your emotions are going to change. You'll be fluctuating for the rest of your life, back and forth, trying to fit in, trying to blend in, trying to, Jesus said, look, let it go. This world is headed nowhere good. Disengage. But if I disengage, who will I be? I, I said, how you doing? I says, what do you do? I'm a doctor. That's what you do? Yeah, I'm a doctor. No. How you doing? What do you do? I'm a worshiper. I'm a worshiper. I will not be defined by my career, by my title. I will not be defined by what I have. I am a child of God, and I am a worship. That's who I am. Amen. David got it twisted, sitting on his throne, peace in the land. David said, you know what? I want to build God a, a temple. He needs a temple like my house. I got a big house. That made sense. Nice, nice gesture. God comes to the man and says, David, I took you from being a shepherd, from following the sheep, boy, 
They call you king. I call you David. Don't lose yourself. Don't you let the status of this world make you lose yourself. Don't let the accolades of men or the disapproval of men cause you to lose yourself. Jesus said you better be poor in spirit. You better drop it. You better devalue all of this stuff down here. I don't care what it is. But I'll be alone. Yeah, you'll be alone for a while, but I will come to you. (laughs) If you give it up for my sake, I'll give you double for your trouble. (laughs) Set your mind on things above. When we understand that the spiritual things of Christ far outweigh the things of this world, we begin to seek him and to seek him first. We keep on seeking him. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Paul says, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things of, don't stop seeking. Don't think that once you get saved, now I'm saved, now everything is okay, now I can go do all these things in the world and attain all this success. No, keep on seeking. (laughs) Don't ever stop. Until you know the breadth and the length and the depth and the height of the love of God. That will take you 10 lifetimes. Keep on seeking. Don't stop seeking. Don't stop seeking. Don't stop. You have, I don't care how long you've been saved, you're still a babe. It doesn't matter what you know, you're still a babe. Jesus says to us, except you become as little children, you can't even enter. And once you enter as a child, remain a child, please. Don't get in the kingdom and try to get grown on me now. You're still a child. I'm 80 years old, you're still a child. The earth has been here over 4,000 years. 80 is nothing. (laughs) Yeah. Keep seeking the kingdom of God. The person that keeps seeking is the person that is always hungry for more of him. It is the person who is keenly aware of his spiritual hunger. That's what he's saying. Remain aware of your spiritual hunger. When you don't feel it, you better cry out. When you start feeling satisfied and content that you understand theology and doctrine well, you better start crying out. Because you're about to miss the whole point of this thing. The book of Hebrews says, therefore now we leave the principles of the doctrine, of the baptism and laying on of hands. We leave what we know in our heads. He says, now let us go on to perfection. There's further to go here. You don't know him like you think you do. Ah, you don't know him like you think you do. (laughs) But most of us are too full. Too full of ourselves. You don't tell me. Are you full? You can't eat a bite more. You're just full to the brim. Full of accomplishments full of the inner strivings for success and for prestige and for name in this world. Too full with symbols of security, symbols of status. Too full. But your status and your symbols are only shadows. They make you feel full and satisfied, but they are deceiving you. 
I was raised up a poor boy on the south side of Chicago. Didn't have much money in the house, and we were on welfare. And when you wait until the end of the month, since our last name was R, our check normally came on 24th or 25th. Shame for a young boy to know something like that, but it did. <laughs> Around the 22nd of the month, you normally run out of food. It's called food insecurity. And my mother had this little trick she used to do. When we run out of meat, we always had rice. You know, brother gonna keep some rice. <laughs> my mother would cook that rice, and she'd put you a whole lot of rice in the bowl and just douse it with a lot of hot sauce. Say, Mom, why do you, why do, you do that? Mom said, because when that acid gets in your stomach, that heat gets in your stomach, it's gonna make you feel full. You're not gonna be full. But that gas is gonna make you feel like. Just a shadow of the real thing. That's your job. That's your career. That's your education. That's your house. Just some hot sauce. Makes you feel like you're full, but you're empty. Christ is teaching us here that just because I feel full doesn't mean that I am. And so he challenges us to strip away all of the trappings of success. All of the trappings of our securities become poor in spirit. And look behind your social status symbols and your security symbols and your, your symbol of influence. Look behind them to see what's to it all. And what we find when we look behind the walls of our makeshift security symbols is that they are all based on a facade. They are based on nothing at all. From the president to the person in the gutter, it means nothing. They are shadows that lack substance, clouds that carry no rain. <laughs> and what's sad about it is that we're devoting the best of our eternal selves, sacrificing our greatest powers at the altar of an illusion, of a mirage. Our eternal souls cannot be pacified by these temporary things. It can't be satisfied. There's nothing to them. While this discovery may for a short time make you feel sad, eventually, if you allow yourself to feel, it will lead you to ask the bigger questions of life. When you stop reacting every time your brother or your sister tells a lie on you, when you just disengage and disidentify. When you don't get upset because you didn't get the promotion, you're just, I'm, I'm happy where I am. I'm good right here. I don't want anything else from this world. I turn my back on this world. Huh. When you get to that place and you're feeling sad because now I'm out here by myself. I, I, I can't find meaning in my family. I'm not supposed to find meaning in my career, in, in my job. I'm all alone. I'm feeling dead. What do I do with this? You start asking the bigger questions. Questions like this. What is the real meaning of my existence? Why am I really here? How often do you get the chance to sit down in silence without a TV, without calling somebody on the phone, without getting advice from the outside? How often do you sit down by yourself and ask yourself, what is the meaning of my existence? 
Most of us don't have time for the deeper questions. But questions like, where am I going to find meaning for my life? What does this story mean? Somebody said in the first half of life up to the age of 45, you're busy writing your story. From 45 onwards, the second half of your life, you should be busy interpreting what the story meant. It's a shame to become 50 years old and still be chasing a dream. No, it's time now to start interpreting what this life has meant. To ask the deeper questions of life. Reflecting on where you've been, where God has brought you, seeing God's hand through your entire life and interpreting what this story meant. But you don't have time for that when you're striving all the time. You don't have time for the bigger questions of real life. Your life becomes a shadow just like your success. Or asking yourself a question, what is it that will truly, truly make me happy? These are the questions of the poor in spirit. This is the person who has now made space to receive the kingdom of God. And that's what Jesus is saying. Oh, how happy you would be if you emptied yourself of everything, because then you would have space to receive the kingdom of God. Have you emptied yourself? Are you still full of yourself? The person who is poor in spirit has more questions than she has answers, has more needs than she has means. This is the person who is prepared to dine and feast with the Lord Jesus Christ at his table and from his hand and not from the hands of men. The world is always promising us this kind of happiness, but the world cannot deliver it. If you're going to be happy, you're going to have to keep buying new cars. That's what the world says. If you're going to be happy, you have to keep looking to move into that more prestigious community. That's what the world says. You're going to have to keep buying the newest and the best cologne that makes the women just swarm all over. That's what the world says. The problem is that it never stops. You ever notice that? It never ends. When do I buy my last bottle of cologne? When do I have to buy my last car? Never. It never stops. That is the deception of this world. It never stops. Amen. Giving me needs I never had. I got a phone. I got a phone that's so crazy, man. These smartphones. Oh, my. I don't even need a quarter of that stuff. But they make me need stuff. They make us want. They make us need. How does that happen? Because we're not detached. Because we're still defining ourselves by this world and by its standards. Saddest thing I've ever seen is for a Christian to tell me, oh, I got the iPhone 9 first. Really? Really? You're too connected. <laughs> you need to disconnect from this. Because this is going to keep on driving you all of your life. It never stops. So I need to celebrate recovery ministry. And I always tell them to celebrate recovery. Yo, you got a drug problem and you're addicted to this and you're addicted to that. But don't worry. Everybody you ever met is addicted. Everybody in this room is addicted. If you're not addicted to a thing, you're addicted to the way you think. If you're not addicted to anything else, I guarantee you, you are addicted to the way you think. You can't see thinking any other way. <laughs> got that free just for being here. 
Someone said that the human heart is like a wild vine. It grabs a hold of anything that is near in order to make itself feel alive. Feel, you just grab onto stuff. That's the heart looking for happiness everywhere, everywhere. Marriage after marriage, abuse after abuse, job after job. You ever those people keep losing their jobs all the time? They have the same reason. The boss always did the same thing he did on the last job. Always the same thing. Just grabbing for anything. I don't like this anymore. This is not making me happy. Got to grab something else. That's the human heart. That's all of us. I'm not talking about particular. That's all of us. We're all doing that all the time. I'm a basic preacher. I'm a simple person. Keep it real. I'm not going to waste my time being a Christian and lie to myself. If I'm going to do this thing, I'm going to do it right. trying to make ourselves feel rich. And as long as we keep misinterpreting, catch this, as long as we keep misinterpreting our spiritual longings, our spiritual cravings, and thinking that they're just carnal desires, we're going to remain dissatisfied, disenchanted, and disillusioned. This world does not have the capacity to give us what we truly need, what we truly desire. In fact, I can give you the best example in the Bible, I'll tell you this, if I gave you right now the entire world, you would still not be happy. Who believes that? If I gave you everything right now, the whole world, go wherever you want, whenever you want, any plane you want, any boat you you would still not be happy. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15, the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work and keep it. The Lord commanded the man, saying, you may surely eat of every tree. The world is your oyster. But of this one tree, just one, there are a billion trees in the world. Just this one, you can't have that one. That's all. What tree did he want? The one he couldn't have. If I gave you the whole world right now, you'd ask for the clouds. Then you'd ask for the stars and the moon. It would keep going and keep growing because your spirit is eternal. It's unending. It has no bottom. It cannot be filled with substances. That's why. That's why. That's what Jesus is saying. You are more spirit than you are flesh. The spiritual side of you is humongous. It's as large as God. Because it was made to carry God. The whole world was his oyster. He had complete control, complete autonomy to do as he pleased with whatever he wanted. Nobody could tell Adam no. But he and his wife were still not happy. May as well stop. With that scripture right there, that's enough right there to make me just stop chasing things in this world. That just answered the whole question right there. He has that in Genesis. Don't get born and start chasing this stuff, man. Nothing to it. It's not going to satisfy you. We should not have to learn this lesson again and again and again. We already know the things that we are pursuing in this world will not be enough for us. We already know it. And Jesus Christ here in this text is calling us to a transformation, a complete transformation of our value system. 
but the cost of such transformation is high. It means we have to change our loyalties from seeking power and success and money and control to a new allegiance that seeks Christ and his kingdom above all else. We have to change the way we're thinking. When we do it, when we allow ourselves to go through that painful process, and let me tell you something, it's a painful process. Very short sentence, Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for there is the king. But it's a painful process to disidentify with your family, to disengage from all of your great possessions. It's a difficult, painful process because you've wrapped your identity up in these things. You don't know yourself without them. It is a difficult process. And what Jesus is saying is, it is because of all of these things that are encumbering you that you don't know yourself in the first place. It is because you're 50 years old and you're still living with the definition that your mother gave you that you don't know yourself yet. You've got to let that go in order to find yourself. Jesus says, he who finds his life will lose it. He who loses his life for my sake and the gospel, he will find it. And when he, when he says lose your life, he's talking about this false life that we've all made up. From the time we were babies, we've been making up this persona. When Jesus comes along and says, you can be born again, that means you have to be stripped of your persona. But when you're my age, let's just be honest now, when you're my age, when you're middle aged now, that's not a simple thing. Maybe I was 18, it'd be easier. But I got 50 years of being this. I've invested a lot into this. You know what I'm saying? Not as easy as it sounds. But that's what it takes if you want to see the kingdom of heaven in this world. To take the risk and step out on faith and let go of what you knew of yourself. Hunger and thirst to get your definition and your meaning from Christ and from Christ alone. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in the spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Not a future kingdom. He doesn't say, blessed are the poor in spirit, for when you die, I'm going to take you to the good by and by. It's not what he said. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is now. <laughs> the gospel of Jesus Christ is not an evacuation plan. We don't just get saved and sit in the church and wait to be raptured. The kingdom is now. It's near you. It's in you. But your status and your power and all of these things you're searching have piled on top of it and it's covering up this beautiful gem that is in your own heart. It's right there. You're looking all out here. It's right there. I read the report that says only 35% of Christians pray on a daily basis. I know why we don't know the kingdom is in us. We're not talking to the kingdom. We're not accessing the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is in you. It's there already. If you're a Christian, it's there already. There is nothing to gain in this world, and there is nothing to lose. When you come to this realization, brothers and sisters, you're talking about liberation and freedom. Hmm. When you come to the realization that all things already belong to you, it, the Bible says it. All things belong to you. Everything is already yours. And you are Christ, and Christ is God's. 
You are joined there with Jesus Christ right now. Why am I not experiencing it? Why am I going through bouts of depression? Because you know it here. You got to know it here. And the only way you get to know it here is through constant prayer. Constant, daily accessing the kingdom of God. Until you begin to recognize within your own self, Jesus Christ. Because he's there. He's there now. Waiting for you to start peeling away some of these false layers that you call yourself. To be poor in spirit is to be stripped of your old self. And to wait on God to provide you a new identity. The book of Revelation says he's going to give you a new name. You call me Calvin, God calls me something else. When I'm in prayer, I'm always waiting to hear that name. And one day God's going to say my real name. (laughs) One of these days. The name Calvin means to be bald. It was a prophecy. (laughs) But I have another name. That name is going to come from Christ. And that's who I really am. You know what I'm saying? That's who I really am. That's what salvation is about, bringing you to yourself. The the prodigal son, eating with the pigs. And the Bible says he just came to himself. He realized himself. Saw himself. God never called me pastor. When I'm in prayer, God never says, Pastor Calvin. (laughs) He has no regard for my title. He knows me deeply and intimately. And he tells me who I am. There is nothing better than finding out who you are. Because when you find out who you are, you begin to realize that you are made of God's stuff. You are made of God's stuff. (laughs) Then you begin to realize the kingdom of heaven all around you. And you find out then that if you seek first the kingdom of heaven and its righteousness, all of this other petty stuff that you're devoting your time, your talent, and your treasure to, all of this garbage. How much garbage do you want, Calvin? Take as much as you want. I got plenty of this stuff. All of us go stand in line at Walmart waiting to get that special toy for our kid. Then you read on the news that all of these doggone supermarkets and everything, they're going to throw away $18 billion worth of stuff that they didn't sell during Christmas. They're going to throw it in the garbage. It's just stuff. We love that stuff. They throw that stuff in the garbage like it's nothing. Just a whole bunch of stuff. That's what Jesus is saying. He looks, stop chasing that stuff. Plenty of stuff. There's only one God. <laughs> you get me, you can have the stuff. But when you get me, what you're going to find is you don't really care about that stuff. Because who you really are doesn't need stuff. Somebody hear that now. Who you really are doesn't need, your spirit man doesn't need stuff. It's neither here nor there. Your spirit man doesn't need a doctorate degree. It's neither here nor there. Doesn't matter either way. (laughs) I feel like preaching. How much time do I have? I'm sorry. I probably owe my time. What time? I'm sorry. I'm I'm serious. No, no, no. I'm going to cut this short now. Y'all got to meet today. Uh, There's the kingdom of heaven. 
Don't try to find your happiness through your family, through your career, through your money, possessions, education, your status. Don't try to find your definition there. Don't try to find true happiness there. Don't try to find true happiness through your influence, your ability to control. It's all futile. It's a waste of your time. So here are the rules I try to follow in my life. Number one, the things in this world that I find myself desiring too much, I refuse to pursue them. Anything that makes me feel like I have to have it, I don't want it. That's an attitude. <laughs> Practice it sometimes. What wonders in your life? Learning how to deny yourself this frivolous stuff. I love cars. I'm not buying another car. I'm 50. I only need one more car. I'm going to get it when I'm 60. I'm not buying no more cars. I'm sorry. I was just talking to myself. I'm sorry. I forgot I was here for a minute. Yeah. I'm tired of buying cars every two years, man, trying to keep up with somebody. Spending all my money. I'm tired of it. I'm, not, I'm serious. I'm not buying another Everything I, I, I want too much, I want too desperately, I don't want it. I don't have time for it. I'm trying to find Jesus. And if he's not at the car dealership, I don't want to be there. Let me just bring it home. What I'm really saying is what I'm really saying is that it is time for us to seek Jesus. That's all I'm interested in. Telling me about title. I don't care about a title. I don't care about your money. I'm looking for Jesus. I was an alcoholic about to kill myself with drink. That man found me. I don't have time for this. I'm looking for him. Paul the apostle said, I am looking to lay hold of that thing that laid hold of me. He touched me and he ran away. And I will spend the rest of my life chasing after him. We have to have that hunger. We have to be poor in spirit. It means that we have to sit alone sometimes. It means that we have to be able to accept solitude when God places us there for a season and stop getting mad at everybody because they won't answer your calls. Just sit there in solitude with Jesus. It's going to be all right. Press through your pain. Accept your pain. Stop running from your pain and trying to cover it with candy and ice cream and all this stuff. And just stop. Let yourself feel the need and don't, don't try to satisfy the need. Let it just be there. If you let it be there, you will find that Jesus Christ will come and satisfy your need. If you give him time. He's in no rush now. He's not going to be in no rush. It can take a while sometimes. But it's worth the wait, man. When he comes and satisfies the deepest longings of your heart. It's worth the wait. Number two, I have no ambitions toward the riches of this world. They're neither here nor there. I gladly renounce any form of earthly power or influence that I have. I don't need it. In my solitude, I learned to find meaning beyond my family tree. But I'm happy. <laughs> For once I am free from the shadows of success, prestige, and power, it is then in the coolness of my days that Christ visits me. 
no longer covered over by my own shadow self. Christ comes to me, and he and I walk together in his kingdom garden, and we are one. 